Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Metal University. I am one of your metal professors, Chris, and joining me on the line is your other metal professor, Brian. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing really good, Chris. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Been really busy and uh, listened to do a lot of good music along the way, so I can't complain too much. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I'm trying to enjoy my summer. And, you know, the the weather has been iffy. Uh, we had some nice days and we opened the pool and then that's good. And then it started to get cold again. So now I'm like, well, yeah. what the hell am I supposed to do with that? I need, I need some nice weather. So, you know, we can like warm the pool up so that it is actually like a temperature that you want to get into. Cause right now it is not a temperature you want to get into. <laughs> yeah. We haven't been to our pool yet, but, uh, I did play a little bit of golf. So that's good. That's, I got, I had some lessons. Anyway, so hopefully I'll I had a really bad summer last year with golf, so I'm trying to be a little better than I was. So we'll see how that goes. But okay. hit, some, hit some today. We'll you know, we'll see. We'll see how the summer goes. But I'm not teaching this right. summer, so I've I've got a little more time. So that that maybe I can get a hit the links a few times and see see if I can become semi respectable. We'll see. <laughs> you you usually do teach in the summer, don't you? I do. In my 19 years at UD, I think I haven't taught in the summer maybe three times. So Wow. Yeah. Uh, and this my course this time just fell through. It, did, it wasn't going to work out. So I said, fine. I have a, a book and a half to work on. So that's <laughs> <laughs> we have that, that's that's plenty of work. We're good. Yeah, I'm sure that'll keep you busy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good. Uh, so today we are going to be talking about uh, lyrics and lyrical themes and that sort of thing in metal music. Um, now, when I first, uh, when you brought this topic up, the first thing I thought of was, uh, and something that I'm certainly, I, I'm, I want to get to at some point, but the first thing I thought of were like concept albums, like where lyrical themes become an entire narrative. Uh, but I don't, I don't want to start there because I think that's something to work up to. Um, but being a prog fan as I am, uh, I have a lot of examples of concept albums <laughs> because they are quite popular in this subgenre. Uh, but, but we'll get to that. Um, I actually want to start by asking you when you think of like quintessential metal lyrical themes, what, are, what do you think of? at first like what's the first thing that pops into mind as like this is what metal lyrics are about well i think a lot of that has to do with um the genre you're listening to i think Mm -hmm. thrash uh, a lot of the time it's got some politics it's got violence you know depending on which which band you're looking at it's some bands get into the environment uh though i think it's i think particularly like the the uh, society and how society works or doesn't work in terms of like thrash if you think of like power metal a lot of fantasy a lot of science fiction like with dio i mean he's got a lot he's always sort of i think semi made fun of because they always say oh he's dungeons and dragons lyrics well, yeah, there's some of that in there, but but there's also like I, we talked about earlier uh, in one of the episodes that 
you know, his second to last album, he's got all kinds of things about politics, about paranoia, about these other issues that normally he didn't, he didn't sing about. I don't know why that was, you know, if you look at black Sabbath, there's a, there's a lot of uh, the occult early, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, as, as they were going through, you know, death metal, obviously the name kind of says it all violence, misogyny, death, gore, uh, black metal is often, at least the early stuff was, was the occult Satanism. Uh, a lot of bands now, when you think of like a band like Gajira from France is singing a lot about the environment. I think just a lot of it depends on like the, 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 the glam metal stuff. Straight ahead, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, basically. Mostly the sex and the drugs. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a little heavier, so it's, you know. But, but yeah, I mean, so there's uh, – I mean, if you think about, like, classic metal bands like Judas Priest, Black Sabbath, those guys, you know, Priest wasn't doing a whole lot with the occult, but they were doing a lot with, like, praising heavy metal, like talking about, um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of bands or some bands run away from – that they are metal bands. Like uh, you think of Def Leppard, for instance, they're not a metal band now, but when they started, pardon me, they were most definitely in my mind, their first two or three albums were metal. And then their drummer lost his arm and they became world famous (laughs) because their sound changed. And, and that's when they just exploded. And I saw an interview with one of the guys and they asked him, you know, why don't you guys think of yourselves as metal? And, and he was just, it was, just, it was the guitar player, Phil Collins. He just said, well, we like to take showers. It's that kind of attitude hmm. that is annoying to me. Um, but they sing a lot about the same stuff, like the glam stuff for, for my mm-hmm. mind, you know? So I think a lot of it has to do with, I mean, if you think about some of the bands whose lyrics I like the most, uh, Iron Maiden, I love a lot of stuff they write about. I love Dio. Um, I mean, it's hard to say, like death metal, you're kind of an asshole if you say you're into their lyrics because it's what they're singing about, <laughs> many of them. Like, <laughs> so like if someone says, you like Cannibal Corpse? I say, I do, but I really listen to the music. I try not to get too focused on the themes that's going on in the lyrics because it's so vile. Um, right. I mean, you know, for me, like for me, I think it's important for bands to have their own style lyrically but I don't necessarily think they should be singing about the same thing every single album. Right. Mm-hmm. And and they, most bands don't do that. I don't think, you know, I'm not sure how well that answers your question, but, but I mean, I think a lot of it does depend on the kind of metal that they're playing. Uh, and I suppose on some level, how well they understand their audience or the audience are trying to get to, mm-hmm. which I guess maybe goes back to authenticity. What we talked about last time. To, is it authentic to write for your audience or just for yourself? And right. maybe writing for themselves is the same as writing. Maybe the themes they're writing for are the same things that their audience, you know, it came from them and the audience likes it. So they went to the band. Does that right. make sense? Yeah. 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 It does. Yeah. What all, um, and it seems like, so a lot of this is going to be, like you said, it's going to be like subgenre dependent um, because they are so different from each other. And, and even then, like there's a lot of variety in these lyrics, a lot more than you might see in a lot of other kinds of music, where you could pick up one album from uh, even like a thrash metal band. I'm just thinking of like some even some really like 
I don't know if I want to use the word accessible, but some of the more the more common accessible metal like like Metallica or something. You're going to have a lot of different lyrical themes on one album. Um, mm-hmm. Some of it's going to be political. Some of it's going to be about you know like more internal stuff. Um, you know, internal psychology, that kind of stuff. Uh, trauma. Um, some of it's going to be a little bit narrative, like because they have like some songs that are kind of narrative and then more tell a story. So mm-hmm. you're going to have a whole cross section of of lyrics, whereas a lot of pop music tends to be a little bit more focused um, on the, like very particular things. Like there's obviously going to be like a lot of love songs, that sort of thing. Um, country is famous for having you know particular themes. I mean, people like to make fun of it, but like there are clearly kinds of kinds of lyrical themes in country music metal does seem to be a kind of a wide variety like it's hard for me to actually answer that question like what are metal lyrics i honestly don't know there's so yeah. many exactly and, um, and that's what one of the things that's really cool about it because you can't really pin down like like i mean you know you, like you said country what what are the like the things that come out well drinking beer trucks mm-hmm breakup songs i mean and of course that's not all but i mean that's you can't do that with metal unless it's glam maybe then you could do something with glam but but the other stuff it's not it's not that narrow i don't think and if you have like on the whole umbrella of metal there's no way (laughs) because there is so much diversity in what's happening in the lyrics so right so i think that's another thing that really makes this this music unique beyond just the music it's it's what mm-hmm. the bands are saying. Yes. Yeah. No. I I, I completely agree with you. And it's it, so that's really interesting to me. And I think of like you know your typical you know like like imagine if someone is a fan of of a different kind of music like like a pop music or country music or an R and B kind of thing or whatever. And you ask them about a popular artist, and you say, "What about you know?" Do you like that love song they do? Well, that's going to be like 30 of them, right? It's going to be it's so catalog. many. Right, it's the whole catalog. Like, But then it's very rare for a metal band to have a love song. And so when you say like the love song from X band, it's like one or two. So I'm like, okay. I mean, using the, aforem- uh, the, the aforementioned example of Metallica, if someone says the Metallica love song, the only thing I think of is nothing else matters. It's the only song that even pops to mind. Now there might be one or two other ones that I'm just completely forgetting about that are like very clearly themes that you can interpret as love song themes, but there can't be that many. Cause I can't think of very many. And it wouldn't Certainly have been, it wouldn't morning. have been their first four albums either. They, right, they were exactly. too young and angry. So, <laughs> so yeah, it would have to be, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not as familiar with the the newer stuff, so so that may have changed over time. But like up through the Black album, um, I can't think of anything that would be classified a love song other than Nothing Else Matters. Uh, and then yeah, other bands either. that have like a, a sort of love song, a lot of times they're like kind of a twisted love song, like <laughs> uh, you know, like you could say an Avenged Sevenfold love song. Well, like Little Piece of Heaven, maybe, which is a song about like someone who kills the person they love and like has sex with their corpse. And then the corpse comes back to life and kills them. Like that's what, that's what passes as a love song in metal. Right. Well, yeah. Dio has a song called death by love where you have, (laughs) she has sex with you and then she kills you. So it's like, Oh, that's not love so much as 
sex, but but you know, <laughs> either way, you die. <laughs> so. Right, right, and it's this like crazy, like wild, you know, fantasy horror kind of story. That's kind of what we think of it with that that sort of song. This, you know, the classic love song in metal. So yeah. I think it it really defies a lot of the more traditional lyrical themes. Um, Absolutely. In a lot of ways. So we don't have the more common things, which I feel like in most other genres of music, you have some, you know, you have some version of a love song. And in metal, I think that's just, you're just not going to get very much of that. And if it is, a lot of times it's going to be a very subversive kind of love song. <laughs> um, like, like those, uh, like that example right there or the, or the, the Dio example. Uh, so, okay. So we have that going on. But there are, like you said, there are different types of lyrical themes that we do see kind of pop up across bands and maybe multiple times in the same with the same artist or band. Uh, so we do have a, a decent amount of like fantasy slash sci-fi slash horror themed lyrics, right? Mm-hmm. That yeah. maybe they're semi-narrative. Sometimes they're kind of narrative. Sometimes they're not. Uh, like there are definitely ones that tell a story. Um, I just mentioned, you know, little piece of heaven from Avenged Sevenfold, but then there are some that don't tell stories. They're just like on the theme. Like, uh, I'm thinking of, of the song sirens from the very first sabotage album is just about the mythological creatures sirens. It's not, it doesn't really tell a story about them or anything. It's just like, this is what they are. And this is kind of how it works. And it's like a song about mythology and it's got like, you know, minor, like horror themes in them. Um, but that that seems to be pretty common, uh, and maybe some subgenres hit it more. Like I definitely agree with you that power metal does that more. Yeah. But we do see that across a decent amount of them. Even like you know, you even have like uh, to go back to Metallica again. They have a, I mean, it's an instrumental, but they have a song called uh, "Call of Cthulhu." Right? Mm-hmm. They yeah. spelled it wrong, but they have the song. <laughs> um, and and it, that's that might be an instrumental, but it's still kind of referencing you know, cosmic horror from HP Lovecraft. So this does seem to be a thing. Um, What do you make of that? Like, why do you think metal taps into those fantasy slash sci-fi slash horror kinds of themes when you don't really see that happening too much in other music? Uh, I think, well, okay. So (laughs) I saw an interview with Rob Zombie once and he, he uh, talked about, how the metal kids often are kind of the, the kind of the like the weird kids who instead of liking sports, they like to read about Marilyn. This is on one of the Sam Dunn uh, movies, uh, Headbangers Journey film, I think. It's like you know, stereotypically, oh yeah, they're the ones who don't like sports. They'd rather read about the Manson family, or you know, and they or they play Dungeons and Dragons, or so that. It, that's who they are. That's part of who they are as people. They're going to write about what they know or what they like. And if it's a little bit, you know, out there, well, it's their experience. Like, you know, Sabbath, Geezer Butler wrote the lyrics for Sabbath and he was all into the occult. Well, gee, what did they write about? (laughs) They wrote a lot about the occult because that was where he was from. You know, that was his experience. Um, So I, I think a lot of it just has to do with who these people are, where they grew up, you know, you know, James Hetfield had a really rough childhood. So a lot of their early songs, especially that comes out in the lyrics, you know, at that, uh, the, the fourth album was written 
And Justice for All was written just after, I think, just after Cliff Burton died. Mm -hmm. So they were not in a good place, obviously. And that music is really heavy. It's really aggressive. The lyrics are are more dark, I think, than than other stuff that they've done. Uh, and they, you know, it it, it showed. So I, I think mm-hmm. a lot of us, I think, uh, you know, it, it goes back to authenticity again. We're beating a dead horse here, but I think it's really, it's it's important because. There, there, a difference between many of the metal bands and the pop, say musicians who some of the pop musicians who don't write their own stuff, is they're writing from their own experience often, or what they read. Like Iron Maiden, Steve Harris writes a lot of the lyrics. He might read a novel, and write. He were like the novel "Stranger in a Strange Land." They have a song on that on one of their earlier albums. Um, a song called The Prisoner is about the TV show from the, I think it was from the seventies in England. Oh, okay. Um, a, lot, a lot of their songs deal with that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's, it's just, I think it's a little bit, uh, whoever their influences were in terms of not, not so much music, of course, but, but I think also what kind of stuff are they reading? What things do they do? Are they interested in outside of music? And a lot of that just works its way into what they're writing. You know, and depending on the genre, maybe that's that has an effect too. Do they think, can I sing about this with, can I sing in this theme musically? Does it fit with what I want to play? Because I'm sure there are bands who may have really good ideas for lyrics who, like, it's not going to fit with their style. So they don't do it. Right. Like maybe the guys in Cannibal Corpse want to write about Tolkien. But that probably wouldn't go over that well with the majority of the people that are in, you know, would for me. But, but, uh, uh, I don't think, you know, they, they've never done that. So I don't, I don't think that that would fit with, with their lyrical theme, uh, in the, in, in their, you know, what are they on 15 albums now, 16 albums? Uh, so yeah, that's kind of where, where do you stand on, on that question? Well, I mean, I I I was really uh, struck by what you said early on with how you know in terms of this is the thing these are the things that they're into and metal does as we've talked about before um, going all the way back to our first episode uh, does attract a lot of people who feel marginalized from you know more uh, more popular spaces and culture uh, you know like. I always felt even before I was into metal, I was always like, you know, I don't really fit in with a lot of these more popular things, whatever those things happen to be. And that was one of the reasons why metal appealed to me. And so I think you, you probably do have a lot more kind of subgenre, uh, you know, less people into like less popular things, but really into them. And when you look at other, like if you look at films or books, um, so, you know, films or literature, horror is tends to be, a thing that's really, really popular to the people that love it, but fewer people love it than like the mainstream. So it might not be the most mainstream genre, but the the devotees are really hardcore about it. And same with fantasy. Fantasy is the same way. And mm-hmm. so I can see where I'm sure there's not a one-to-one correlation, certainly, but certainly there's got to be a lot of people who are like, well, I feel alienated by mainstream, say, literature, but I like fantasy novels. And the in People who are saying, well, I feel alienated by mainstream music, but I like metal. And that calls to me because it's sort of counterculture. 
And so there's there's probably some overlap there. I definitely I definitely can see why there would be overlap. And the people who are into those things tend to be into them more hardcore. Um, like it's it's probably why you see fewer casual metalheads, right? Than you do casual fans of pop music. Um, and same with you know same with literature. So I think that might be part of it uh, for sure. And also like the really aggressive kinds of things that go into metal music do tend to skew more toward, you know, uh, fantasy often has a lot of action going on in it. Right. Like, and even if it's not fantasy horror, like there's always scary things. I mean, there's monsters in fantasy, whether they're like terrifying or not, it's still not something you want to, you know, you'd want to deal with. So you have like these more aggressive themes in those kinds of books and movies and that sort of thing too. And so I, I think that that, makes for a natural fit. Like if I'm really into this aggressive music, I might also be into, you know, like I'm not like swords and Dungeons and Dragons or scary movies or something like that. Because I think, I don't think those are that divorced from each other. So I definitely see some overlap there. And I think that, that that's a big part of, of probably what, you know, what is what the appeal is. I know certainly that there are some bands that I got into uh, heavily in part because of the lyrical themes. And they were the theme themes that I was into. Like the reason why I got into blind guardian at first was I started, I was looking at their lyrics online. This is back before, you know, you could just stream whatever song you wanted to see if the band was good and just looking at the lyrics. I'm like, Oh my gosh, they're talking about Lord of the Rings. They're talking about the forgotten realms, um, you know, dungeons and dragons stuff. Uh, and I was like, wow, this is really cool. Like they have a song called imaginations from the other side from uh, an album of the same name. And, they that song has all sorts of illusions like it the whole the song itself is like an ode to all kinds of fantasy stories some of them are fairy tales some of them are they mention uh the lord of the rings in that so i read the lyrics to that song and i'm like oh my god this band is into everything that i'm into and yeah. that's what made me want to pick that album up in the first place uh because so many of their songs are fantasy themed and that was that appealed to me. So I, I mean, I'm certain I could use myself and my N of one as a great example of like clearly <laughs> all metal fans, right? Like fantasy and horror, because I do. But if I do, some of them do, certainly. And then you see these bands study. doing it. That, that, that could, could be a, be a study. That would be taking notes on this. Wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, you have you have literally written the book, if you will, on metal and gothic literature. So, <laughs> or at least a chapter in the book. Sorry, so I'm like, writing notes here. No, no, no. I love that. <laughs> so, I mean, I definitely see, I definitely see some overlap there. Um, and I think that there are some things that just make sense in that overlap. Now I'm sure it's not one for one. And I know for a fact that there are definitely metalheads who are not into the fantasy stuff. Like you mentioned people kind of making oh, yeah. fun of Dio a little bit for it. And I remember back when I was, uh, hanging up with my buddies who were in a metal band, um, out in New Jersey, who they, they have a, a number of albums out, um, we were we were talking about it and we were talking about like stuff we liked and they they were teasing me because they're like oh yeah you also like the Dungeons and Dragons metal and I'm like hey now 
Like, you know, because <laughs> they were talking about like Blind Guardian and stuff. And I'm like, Blind Guardian is a real band. Like, this is not some fringe, you know, like silly, you can make fun of them. They're like legit. And, 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 but, and they were just messing with me, but like, there clearly was a little bit of a stigma there for them. And Absolutely. while they, they had, uh, some like narrative elements to their music and songs that were narrative. They didn't go into the whole like dragons and magic and swords kind of stuff and King Arthur and whatever. And they thought that was like crossing the line. So I do <laughs> think that, so while that's in there, it's also a little bit stigmatized by people who are like, Oh wow. That's like, that's nerdier than I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, metal itself is stigmatized by most of society. So when you tack on different kinds of themes like that, oh, well, that's like two degrees farther <laughs> stigmatized or whatever. So, you know, but it exactly. that doesn't change the fact that some of the like Blind, Blind Garden sells out stadiums or, or arenas yes. in Europe. They come yes. here, they might get 2,000 people, but they go in Europe, they're, you know, they're huge, you know, and, and, that's just the way it is. A lot of bands do really big in Europe and they come here and they're playing small places because we yes. don't have as many maybe. And we're maybe we're just, I don't know. I don't know why it's that different here. We can talk about that some other time, I guess, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. The whole idea of, of stigma and the effect it has on bands and, and I guess more, more, I suppose on fans and what they don't know about these bands they're stigmatizing. Right, right, right. No, that's a good point. And I also think, so like, if you look at the other end of it, so if like the fantasy horror, you know, stuff on on one end, and you look at the other end, you also have, I think, you have lyrics that maybe are a little less overt in what they're about. Like, you might not listen to a more political song and realize that it's being so political. It's hard to not realize when a band is singing about dragons and magic and wizards that they're talking about that stuff. But when <laughs> right. you hear some of these more political songs, some people don't even realize that they're listening to a political song. Yeah. Uh, it's not always like right in your face. Now, sometimes it's really obvious. You know, you mentioned uh, the album Injustice for All. Like that, that song, the title track, is pretty obvious in what it's about. <laughs> but you can also listen to like other songs on that same album and maybe not quite realize how political that that particular song is. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And other bands have, you know, similar things. And so I think on some level too, a lot of people that have that stigma against maybe the fantasy stuff are more about just it not having that versus what it does actually have. Because I guarantee there are some people listening to some of these more political songs from these bands that don't necessarily agree with the politics of those songs, but it's not as overt. And so it, they don't really notice. Um, I mean, there's always the, like, there's all the memes about people finding out what rage against the machine is actually singing about. Um, and how like <laughs> they never knew that. And you're just like, how did you not know that? Really? Did you listen to the song? <laughs> did you read the lyrics? before? <laughs> <clears throat> right. Exactly. Like, but, but I, I think that there's something, it seems to be like a hard line for some people that they just won't cross. And that is where it becomes maybe a little too silly for them or a little too cheesy or hokey or whatever, whatever they think about that. Um, and, and I mean, even then, like, I guess I have even some limits to that stuff too, but, uh, 
what would on be how cheesy I can go. Um, the, the, so the, when I think of like a kind of like loosely fantasy themed song that is just a little too far for me, and I know you're you're gonna you're gonna rebut this in some way by by telling me what it's really about because I know what it's really about. But the flash of the blade from uh, Maiden is it's about a sword fight. It's about a sword fight because because <laughs> Bruce Dickinson was a was a fencer, he, he, right? Yeah, um, and the duelist is like, the same thing. It's about a sword fight, right? And so like that one is just a little too far for me, and I don't know why. I can't tell you why. Like if there were some dragons in it, maybe I'd be okay with it. But like it's just a little <laughs> too much. I'm like maybe it's just because I don't think it's a good song. That might oh, be what it is. Song. But like I don't know. That one for me is maybe just a, a, a smidge over the line. But my, I'm, I'm really good with that stuff. Like I'm fine with the, the fantasy theme stuff. And I actually like a lot of it. Um, I'm just, I find that really interesting. And then we have, so we have those kind of lyrics. And then you also mentioned it. I wanted to, to make sure that we at least touched on this. You mentioned the bands that, and a lot of the, the glam metal bands did this, that do songs about metal. They're basically are like metal is awesome. Isn't metal awesome. <laughs> And like, and the, the lyrics are always like the choruses are always like about how metal rocks or something, right? And a lot of bands have these songs, yeah. Like they have that one song that's just like, "We are awesome because we love metal." Don't you love metal? Metal is awesome. And I always found this fascinating because I've never heard a pop song that was like, "Pop music is the best." We're also <laughs> cool because we like pop music, but, but. Damn, if so many metal bands haven't put out that like we are metal kind of song. Why do why do you think they do that? Is it some kind of like uh ego thing they have to prove to themselves they're a metal band or they have to prove to <laughs> the masses that this is like a legitimate kind of music or or that they just like I mean I've seen Judas Priest. I've only been able to see Judas Priest once, but they were like not like they were the most proud band. They were the most proud metal band I've ever heard in my life. Rob Halford, yes, he talked about how important metal is, how how important Judas Priest is to metal. That these guys are a metal band first and foremost. That's who they are. That's how they live their. You know, it was, and I mean, they were, they are. For me, they're like, yes, we are metal, and damn proud of it. And you still get uh-huh. some bands who, who want to run away from that. It's like, then who the hell are you? Are you want to be a little pop band or you want to be, a, I keep railing on pop and I shouldn't do that. I'm sorry. That, <laughs> um, or just a band that doesn't know who they are, I guess. They, they're not proud of what they're doing or they don't want to pigeon, maybe they don't want to pigeonhole themselves mm-hmm. as, as a metal band because that would hurt, that could hurt some people who consider them not metal that likes to buy their stuff. And they, you know, right. Um, I, I just think it's interesting how how you're right. A lot of these bands will have a song that talks about how metal they are. Well, if you have to prove yourself <laughs> with your lyrics, <laughs> it's like when I see someone uh, who a band, I forget the band's name. They sing about how they're anarchists. If you have to write a song to prove yourself that you're an anarchist, are you really an anarchist? <laughs> if you're not, you know, I, so I don't that know. is I a rather organized way. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, no, I mean, you, you maybe brought up the most amusing example for this <laughs> question, which was obviously Judas Priest, who literally have a song for the, for those listeners who might not be Judas Priest fans, or maybe Judas Priest was before your time. They literally have a song called heavy metal 
And the first line of the song is when the power cords come crashing down. Like <laughs> this, <laughs> the, the, uh, another line, the speakers pour out molten steel. Um, this is clearly like about the genre. The song oh, is yeah. about the genre that it's in. And you do have other bands that do this too. Like uh, well, some those, of them those will the have a like, song called Metal Militia. I believe they album? do. Yeah. On the first album. Yeah, that's right. I totally forgot about that. Uh, and, and that was back when they were like really angry and didn't want to be pigeonholed or told what to do at all. And they still are like, Hey, look, metal militia. Um, it is indeed metal militia is a song on there. Uh, yeah. And then some bands will spin it a little bit like, Oh, well it's not about metal itself, but it's about the family of metal, you know, that we, that comes together. And so they're like, so when you see them in concert, they're like, this is the song that we wrote for you, the fans, right? <laughs> yeah. And then you have that song, which is basically like we're all we're all brothers and sisters in the world of metal. Um, yeah. uh, like Denim like Ice Earth has Jackson. a – Yes, yes. Ice Earth has a song <laughs> called Blessed Are You, which is all about like – I mean the, <laughs> the, the, the pre-chorus is – Forever we will be standing tall side by side. We're the children of the night. I mean, it's a little – when I say it like that and you're not hearing it sung, it's a little cheesy. And, <laughs> you know, um, th- th- the ending of the song, they just keep saying, through the storm we ride side by side. Like, I mean, it's a little cheesy. But it's all about how, like, you know, metal is our family. Metal is our life. And I find it really interesting that so many of these metal bands from v- various different subgenres of metal – have that like one metal rocks song. Yeah. Well, I, you know, Doro used to be in Warlock, Doro Pesh. She's from oh, Germany. Yeah. She's got a bunch of songs like that. She sings about you're my family. <laughs> you know, I forget the There's, yeah. I mean, she's got a, and she's always posting online to her fans, how much she loves them, that this is, this music is for that. I mean, it's all, she's really keeping the relationship going. Is, is right, what, right, and she's really good too. I haven't. I the only time I've been even close to seeing her. I think you were a grad student, and we were we were going to go to, um, was it Pagan? No, it wouldn't have been Pagan Fest. I think she was coming to that. What's the place in Columbus where Dimebag was shot? Oh, the Alro Sevilla. Yeah, but it was canceled, or we couldn't go, or something. Okay, I forget. But whatever. I mean, anyway, she doesn't come to the States very often. That's that's part of the problem. But yeah, okay, I mean, okay. yeah, you're right. I mean, it's all over the place that, that these bands are doing that. I mean, do you think it's a problem? I don't think it's a problem. I mean, I think it speaks to uh, the inclusivity of the metal family that is like, you know, we will take you in, you know, person who doesn't fit in anywhere else. You will fit in here. A lot of us love that that camaraderie of the, of the, of the metal family. And so I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it's maybe a little bit hokey to kind of call it out like that and have a metal song about metal, but I mean, you know what? I'm looking at this now. If, if I were listening to that song when I was 16 and just pissed off at everything, um, where now I'm just pissed off some of the time I was pissed off all of the time (laughs) back then. Like I probably would have really liked that song and I would have been like, these guys get me. You know, and so <laughs> I think there's an audience for that. I just find it interesting that it's, it seems to be like that is not as common as like fantasy themes, certainly, but I think that's fairly common uh, that, that bands will have at least a song that's sort of like that. 
Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and then another thing that I wanted to talk about, uh, make sure we hit on, like I said, very uh, kind of at the beginning, was I wanted to talk a little bit about the concept album. Now, the concept album is certainly not uh, something that is just metal. Like, obviously, concept albums are all over the place. They are in, you know, a lot of different uh, genres. Um, you have uh, Tommy was uh, is often cited as the first concept album or one of the first concept albums. And that's not metal, of course, uh, although it's awesome. Uh, it's amazing, <laughs> but it's not metal. Uh, so a lot of people have done this. Uh, and then you had some, some other, like another really famous one that I love, even though it's also not metal, but it inspired a lot of metal, um, is, uh, like there are multiple albums from Pink Floyd, especially the wall, which are concept albums. Um, and these are basically albums that either like the songs all kind of work toward a particular theme or which is more of a loose concept album, or it could be a narrative concept album where it tells a complete story from beginning to end and actually has an actual narrative in it. Uh, and metal seems to do a lot of this. And again, I think this is probably subgenre dependent. Um, like you said uh, a while ago, where you'll see this a lot more in some some kinds of metal. Like I think power metal and prog metal do it a lot more than probably other kinds. I uh, like, but I'm sure there are death metal concept albums out there. Uh, I'm just not as into death metal, so I don't exist. Yeah. Um, but like, there's definitely someone screaming at their phone right now. Like you idiots, obviously, (laughs) uh, it's this one, but, uh, but no, but like those, those subgenres and those are ones that, that I tend to really gravitate to have a lot of concept albums. Um, so I have to, uh, I, I want your take on this. Like, why do you think metal has, it seems like at least kind of a per capita thing, more concept albums and narrative songs than you see in a lot of other genres? Well, I mean, I'm not a big prog fan, so I don't know that many. Who would be some examples of some prog concept albums? Or what, Queensryche, would that Operation Mindcrime? Uh, would that be a- Operation Mindcrime was the very first one I thought of. It's probably <laughs> the most famous. Um, the next one I would say would be uh, Metropolis Part 2, Scenes from a Memory from Dream Theater. That's a really big one as well. Um, I think that one's beloved as much for the music as it is for the story itself. But that is a very uh, like clear, easy to follow storyline with characters, just like Operation Mindcrime was. So those two immediately jump out. Sabotage has quite a few. Um, Streets is one. Uh, Dead Winter Dead is another, which... If, if you don't know Dead Winter Dead by Sabotage, I guarantee that you know one of the songs on it because it is the song that became Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Because uh, oh, the, the Sabotage really? album Dead Winter Dead has Christmas Eve Sarajevo, the like super popular Christmas song, uh, is was a Sabotage song. So Trans-Siberian Orchestra did not exist. It's a Sabotage song. And then that one song was so popular among the fans that they were like, we should do a, a Christmas album. And so they put together a side <laughs> project and called it Transubian Orchestra. But basically, it was just all the guys from Sabotage. And they stuck that song on the album. And that song, hilariously, was is still their most popular song. And it's actually a Sabotage song. Um, but that's a, that's a concept album. They're following one. The Wake of Magellan was another concept album. So you have a lot of them out there. Yeah. Uh, 
I mean, I don't know. I, I suppose it just sort of depends. I, I hate to say it, like it just depends on who these. I mean, it seems to me a lot of the uh, the prog music maybe it lends itself more to that kind of storytelling. Uh, generally, are the songs a little bit longer? Are they more complex? Yes. Maybe they try to say more musically, so they feel like they can say more lyrically too, and it makes it a that makes it a more sort of complete, not element, but a com- a, a, com- a complete album. If they are, if all the songs are connected in some way, I mean, I don't know that. Uh, I don't want to. I, I, I want to say something, but I don't want to offend anybody. Uh, like I don't know if a lot of the the other genres uh, think as much about sort of that lengthy, like eight or ten or twelve or fourteen songs, all connected like that. I'm sure there are, obviously, but it just seems like because you said there's so many so many of these prog bands that are doing that. I just wonder if it they're trying to find a way to uh, maybe more completely bring out what they're trying to more completely lyrically bring out what they're trying to say in the music. And they feel like the best way to do that is by having an entire album with the same theme. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I should probably listen to some, some, uh, some more of these, these bands. I know that actually I'll have a really good chance because um, uh, the main guy from Queens, right? The singer. Jeff Tate. He's coming the, to the original singer. Dayton. Yeah. Yeah. He's coming to oh, Dayton in November. He's playing at Odd Bodies. Well, uh, I so, will probably be there. <laughs> yeah, so I'm probably going to take my students there. Uh, so that would be a, a really cool. And I think he can play all the old stuff. I'm not sure. I know there was some court case. He, he can. No, he can only play the Mind Crime albums. Oh. Yeah. They, they had a big split where. Um, there, there, this is a weird, okay. So this is a side note, but it is an interesting bit of, of metal trivia. There was a weird time when two different bands named Queensryche each put out an album in the same year. Um, Mm. because Jeff Tate left Queensryche, but both of them decided they were going to keep the name. And so they each put out an album from the band Queensryche, which was not really Queensryche, obviously, like it's it, it. It depends on what you think that means at that point. Um, you Didn't know, like, the one though that who wasn't is, Jeff Tate do a lot better. Wasn't uh, it more respected? I believe. I believe the the one without him was more respected. Uh, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, I think because um, they both were allowed to use the name for a little while, and then uh, Jeff Tate decided to like. He, they they worked it out. However, they worked it out. They worked it out, and then he uh, now he just goes by Jeff Tate, I believe, and he has the rights. He, only him has the rights to play uh, Mind Crime and Mind Crime Two. Um, Can the other guys play the Mind Crime stuff? In in their entirety, I think the other guys may be able to play parts of them, but he's the only one that's allowed to like do a Mind Crime concert where he goes in, plays the whole damn thing. And I'm not sure what he's allowed to do from their older catalog. But anyway, there was a weird – that was a weird thing. But it did it did happen. Um, and I will definitely be seeing uh, Jeff Tate in, in, in our local uh, venue. <laughs> you can be a chaperone um, too <laughs> with my I students. I will also chaperone your students, <laughs> which I have done before. And it's some on some episode in the future, we will have to talk about the, uh, how cool that is to 
expose non-metal fans to metal at a at an actual show. Um, yeah, because I, you've you've obviously done it far more than I have, but I got to see that a couple times uh, in going with the students to these concerts, and it was awesome. Uh, but to go back to like the 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 concept albums, I, I think you're onto something with so, some of the the themes with prog music, especially really tying into nicely with what you need to do a concept album, especially a narrative one. Uh, lyrics in prog music tend to be more sprawling and they're less focused on hooks. So they don't need as much of a repeatable chorus, which a repeatable chorus is harder to do when you're trying to tell a story. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of these songs don't have like the same chorus repeated four times at the end of the song. Um, they will change it up or sometimes they don't even have a course, like whatever. Uh, <laughs> but you'll, so you'll have that kind of stuff. And they, they also tend to be, and I don't want this to come off the wrong way. They tend to be more cerebral and I don't mean that like, Oh, they're smarter. Uh, but they tend to put more, it's more about like the both musically and lyrically about what it means. And the complexity of that is part of the music and so a part of the genre. So I think that kind of lends itself to it too. Um, but you do have a lot of that. Like uh, another one that's really cool, Blind Guardian has an album called Nightfall in Middle Earth, which is the entire album is a concept album based on the Silmarillion from Tolkien. Yeah, I have that album and actually. in between songs, they have like these little two-minute tracks that are actors acting out parts of the stories and like playing the characters. So you can sort of follow along with in between the songs with the story that's being told, uh, which is, you know, again, not something that you'll, that you'll often see in, I guess in more, more of your traditional metal um, where like every other track is not a song, but like actors, (laughs) uh, which is a little (laughs) odd. So I do think it's interesting though. So you have a lot of that. And, and you also have some of the looser concept albums where it's like, okay, well, this is a concept album in terms of it's about a concept as opposed to a narrative itself. But metal does seem to do this a lot. And I think another thing that works for that is a lot of fans of more popular music like particular songs. But like you'll be, you'll be online like on Twitter or something um, or on Reddit and I'll see someone say – uh, ask a question like, what is an album where every song is, is great? And I'm like, an album. I can yeah. <laughs> think of like 40. Um, but then when you look, what they're listing, the things that people are listing are like more popular albums where it's like, oh, I got it because of this single, but then actually I liked all of it. But that doesn't actually happen with a lot of popular music. A lot of popular music, you like a few of the songs and you're like, I don't really like these other songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with metal, we tend to put an album on, listen to it end to end. And yeah. we get into it. And when I when I put music on, and I'm sure there are a lot of metal fans who are not like this and maybe listen on shuffle. But a lot of metal fans, uh, myself included, will listen to the whole album. Like I'm going to put this album on, not a random selection of you know, Pandora or Spotify stuff. There are definitely times where I want to do that, but when I often will listen to albums, well, that really lends itself more to the concept album sort of thing. Sure. If I put my, my iTunes on shuffle, some of my songs are going to be these two minute weird ass blind guardian tracks where it's some actor talking (laughs) in a, in a British accent. Right. And it's going to be like, what the hell is this? 
this isn't music. Um, and then it'll go into, you know, like it'll switch from that then into, you know, like a black Sabbath song or, you know, or, uh, I don't know, uh, Avenged Sevenfold or dream theater or something like that. And that, that's, that's going to be, that's like a really different kind of weird thing. But when I sit down, I want to listen to the whole thing. And I think since a lot of metal fans do that, it makes it more accessible to have a concept album. Like you as a band, you're allowed to start making these albums where some tracks are just one minute of a story because mm-hmm. you know people are going to listen to it in order because that's often how we as fans of this genre consume this kind of music. So I think it lends itself to it. Whereas like I think it would be really hard for, I don't know, someone like like Pink to put out a concept album because I mean, are I, I'm sure there are plenty of fans of her music that will put an album on end to end, but there are probably just as many people who just have a song or two in their collection from like, Oh, I just really love this pink song, you know? Yeah, like, absolutely. And so that, we, that we wouldn't just, work as well. No. And I, I wonder, uh, when, when did you get into uh, how far, like into your metal, life did you get into the concept stuff right away or uh, I, it- not right away but pretty soon um it was my i think it was like my second or third sabotage album was dead winter dead and that was a concept album and that was my first exposure to that con that that sort of thing like i didn't really know what it was before that i vaguely knew of like what tommy was but i thought that was an anomaly I thought yeah. other people didn't do this. And then I heard Dead Winter Dead. And then it was shortly after that that I started getting into other bands and heard Operation Mindcrime. And at that point, that's when I really started to, you know, like understand this was more of a thing and it happened a lot more often. And then probably within a year of getting that, I I heard um, well, maybe not a year, maybe a couple of years, uh, I heard uh Nightfall of Middle Earth which was even more like very clearly a story. Like I said, it has the story acted bits in between. Um, and and it's it, it's still like, I still listen to them pretty regularly and new ones keep coming out. Like uh, it was two albums ago, Dream Theaters, uh, not their last one, but the one before that was a concept album. It was a narrative and it was a double album, in fact. Uh, I saw it on the tour when they played it on the tour, they had like a video screen behind them that, that had the story playing like as a movie. So they had even filmed actors and stuff playing those roles. Uh, so it was almost like there's a movie playing along with the story and the music. It was very interesting. Um, so do most, this is, I wonder still happens. Do most bands, uh, I would think most bands wouldn't have like their first album as a concept album. Don't they kind of build to that or do, or do some bands, I, I would, I would, well, tell me, <laughs> do, do they start like <laughs> these bands you're talking about? Was their first album a concept album or do they sort of work their way into that? None of the ones that I've mentioned were concept albums to start with. I, uh, and I'm thinking of like even famous examples that are metal, like, Rush's 2112 or The Wall or, you know, those sorts of things. Those aren't first albums either. Um, so I'm, I, I don't know that that feels like a really ambitious first album. Like yeah. to not only have to put together a good collection of songs, but also tell a story. If I had to guess, and this is just a total guess, but uh, 
if I had to guess, I would say that the reason why probably a lot of bands don't do that is a lot of bands' first albums are the best songs they've written over the last 10 years. Um, because yeah. a lot of bands have been around for a long time before they first put together their very first album. And so they've written a lot of songs. It's very unlikely that they, from the beginning, from their first jam session, sat down to say, we're going to tell this story. Right. Um, I think for the most part, it's like, well, they wrote this song in this year. And then three years later, they wrote this other great song. We're going to stick that on the album too. So it pro- that's probably why. Um, I mean, do you think it, too they'll that lead with it? The, uh, they wanted to get a usually concept albums aren't the kind of albums that might be as successful right out the gate because the bands aren't well known. And they may right. not know you're supposed to listen to all these songs to get the full story. The fans might not know that. So once they've right. had some, I don't know what came before Operation Mindcrime, but was Jet City Woman on that album, on one of those albums? Uh, no, Jet City Woman. So the next album after Mindcrime was called Empire, and that's the one that has all of their like super huge hits. Um, Jet City Woman, Another Rainy Night, Silent Lucidity, Empire. Uh, there's at least one more. They were all really, really huge hits. Those are all from the Empire album. So he can't play those songs. I don't know. I know he. I know that he has the Mind Crime albums to play in their entirety. I don't really know exactly how the the lawsuit ended up panning out. Um, but he, I believe, he's the only one that can play them end to end on the Mind Crime ones. Um, but like, yeah, before before they put out Mind Crime, they had. Uh, they had their, their like, I think it was an EP was their first album. And then the warning and rage for order were their first two, like, like, uh, like real album albums, like LP length, uh, before mind crime. And those were not concept albums. Um, yeah. And so they did work up to it just like a lot of these other bands do as well. And you're right. Like a lot of them don't have really hooky singles because you're supposed to listen to this whole story. Uh, so you're not going to have as many like really hooky singles like mind crime, for example, had, um, there was one song that I know got radio play. It was a song called, I don't believe in love, which yeah, I know that song. actually was a radio single, but it's hard to find radio singles, um, you know, that, uh, that actually work out of a concept album because like dream theater has uh, on their big concept album, um, metropolis part two they have a song called home which was the big single off of that but if you listen to the lyrics you won't know what the hell's going on because it's it's the middle of a long story so you don't know who the (laughs) characters are the lyrics of that song to someone who's never heard the album must be wildly unintelligible now the song is still great it's it's still uh, a catchy song but like if you're trying to figure out what it's about you would have no idea and so i think that would definitely inhibit their ability to you know like just reach a, a wider audience, especially back when radio play was more of a thing. Um, and you only had, you know, that one song to hook them. Yeah. One, one, uh, I was listening, um, on Alexa today <laughs> and <laughs> I, I, I was doing the dishes. So I said, play me sticks. Cause they're coming to their tour in the summer. I thought I'd go see sticks. Well, they played the song, Mr. Roboto. <laughs> which it, that album is a, is a concept album. And it, I think yes. it pretty much killed the band. 
because it was yes. when Dennis yeah. Young wanted to, he insisted they do this album and the rest of the guys in the band wanted to be a rock band. And this album was just this, if you ever seen the video, it's ridiculous. They're all dressed in these stupid costumes and they, the stain they must have had for him uh, <laughs> after this album. I mean, the song was actually a hit, I think, but it, it was, was just a stupid, it was a stupid song and a stupid album. And I, I think they either kicked him out afterwards or he left or there was some big, I think there might've been a lawsuit somewhere down the line, but he hasn't been with the band in a long time. And they're probably happier for that. I would think because they can do (laughs) just, Oh my God. I remember that that came out when I was in college, I think, or just out of college. I thought, Oh Jesus, this is just terrible. And I didn't, I never bought the album. I wouldn't, I I couldn't do that. I like sticks, but I didn't like them that much where I was going to, it just seems so, so, seems so dumb. You know, but anyway, but that was not, that's an example of a concept album where there, there was another, I don't know how, how big of a hit it was, but it was, it definitely was on the radio quite a bit when I was younger. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean, and, and they're not obviously a metal band, but they're like a, they're like a prog rock band. So they have the yeah. prog thing going on. And so you you do see that in I don't know it's just like a a progressive thing is the concept album for whatever reason, um, but anyway when we when you first mentioned lyrics as a theme that's the first thing I thought of was uh, was the concept album right yeah uh, because there's so many of them and and the stories are all completely different they're all about totally different things they're you can't say like oh all the concept albums are about this because every single one that I can think of is about a wildly different story. Um, from dystopian, you know, like anti-establishment stories, like like Operation Mind Crime, to uh, these like time traveling mysteries. Well, maybe not time traveling, but like reincarnation mysteries, like Metropolis Part Two, or you know, Nightfall in Middle Earth, which is about Tolkien. Uh, so right. you obviously have a variety of things, but uh, yeah, there's 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 clearly a lot of variety in metal lyrics, and I think that's really what. Uh, what what my big takeaway from this is, is that there's so much going on in them across different songs. You can listen to an album from a band and hear, you know, 10 different songs with 10 different lyrical themes in them. And they might be related to each other, but a lot of bands will put out a lot of variety. Um, so, okay, this might be a political band, but every song is probably going to be about a different political thing. Sure. And you're going to have a lot of that variety and you could still have that, you know, you still toss in your random fantasy song and your random, you know, we love metal song and it still just works. Uh, so I, I, I think that's for me, that's my big takeaway is the variety that you, that you get to experience with metal music in terms of the lyrics uh, versus, you know, what you might get from other, other genres and maybe other genres are more rich than I realize that I'm only working off my stereotypes of those genres but uh, I think if you if you were to joke about the stereotypes of metal music lyrics, we could very easily point out, okay, well, here's all of these examples of things that defy those stereotypes. So absolutely. So that's and my that's my big take. Other genres too. We can joke about lyrics yes. and other kinds of music as well, right? So <laughs> always exactly. remember that these are all stereotypes, and they're all you know they're while there's some fact in in what what they're singing about, it's still you know. You can make fun of us. We can make fun of you because that's that's the way it goes. You know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. Exactly right. And we could always go back to heavy metal from Judas Priest to tell us <laughs> <laughs> At some what point heavy metal to, is. 
at some point, I, not not today. We don't think we have time today. But but at some point, I'd like to talk about the effect uh, lyrics have on listeners and um, can can they make can music or, and music and lyrics make people do certain things? And it reminds me of the times where metal bands have been sued because oh, yeah. people kids committed suicide. Um, so my, we, I, we've been going for almost 50 minutes now, so it's too late for that. But maybe we can have one later <laughs> on uh, in our during our podcasting careers where, where we talk about that, because I think that's a really interesting uh, subject to discuss because, you know, Ozzy's been sued, Judas Priest has been sued, Slayer's been sued, Marilyn Manson. I don't know if he was sued, but he was – and some people blamed him for the Columbine stuff when the two guys yep. didn't even listen to him. Now he's, you know, he's in a lot of trouble right now for other things that he's done, but right. I don't think anyone's going to say it's his fault that those kids were killed in Colorado. Um, right. Right. So maybe at, at some point in the future, we can sort of bring that stuff up, but, but I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think, think that- I think uh, revisiting this in the future with, uh, looking at those those instances specifically, that's I think that's a great future show. So we will be doing that. Look forward to cool. it. Awesome. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, uh, that's it for our main topic. But before we wrap up, um, I got to ask, Brian, what have you been listening to lately? I keep on going back in time. <laughs> uh, uh, this time it's, it's Alice Cooper. Um, I'm reminded oh, wow. of the times. I've seen him a couple times. Uh, once he was a headliner here in Dayton uh, at Frey's Pavilion, which is a four thousand seat, four thousand holds four thousand people. It's got a lawn, and you know, um, and then you open up for Iron Maiden, and both times he was amazing, right? And he, you know, his his and and my I took my wife to to see him the first time where he was the headliner. He played a little bit longer, and um, his set. In the set, he hangs himself. He electrocutes himself. He he dies four times. <laughs> Let's just say <laughs> there's four, and it's very theatrical. If you if you obviously it is, and I've read his bio and uh, his autobiography, and um, you know the the music. I don't know if these are if you can say his stuff is a is a um, uh, what do you call it concept album. But there's certainly in the show, uh, there are similar things happening throughout. And it's very visual. His music, I guess I'm talking more about the concerts than I am the individual albums in this. But, uh, you know, and sometimes he's metal. Sometimes he's just hard rock. Some of his songs are a little, I don't want to say poppy. He's had hits, though. I mean, he's had mm-hmm. definitely Schools Out, No More Mr. Nice Guy. Um, uh, what's the what's the big one he had when um, it's about a woman who's a, I can't think of it, but it was probably his biggest hit or one of his biggest hits. Uh, anyway. So like, you know, during the show he comes out and he, he stresses that obviously when he started out, the band was named Alice Cooper. Mm-hmm. It wasn't him. But then when they split up, he took the name and the way he talks about it, when he goes on stage, he becomes a character. He's playing Alice Cooper. And and he's, you know, he's a born again Christian. So people have asked him, why are you 
doing these things. On, <laughs> he's like, I'm, I'm an actor on the stage and that's, you know, and I write about stuff that would, I can perform on a stage basically. Yep. Um, you know, and the music is great obviously and he's been around forever so he can pick and choose the best ones he probably mm-hmm. and when i saw him he played schools out twice which i thought was kind of weird <laughs> he opened with it and he closed with it too and i think it was nice. just after school got out i think it was like early june so uh maybe that's why i don't know uh but he he's fascinating to me because he you know in his bio he talks about he was drinking like a half a gallon of booze a day He'd wake up, drink a few beers, drink a, you know, a ton of vodka just to get him through the, and he did this for years. And then his wife said, if you don't stop, we're done. And that was enough to get him to stop. Right. And then, uh, and he's been sober for like 40 years now, I guess, or 35 years or whatever. Um, anyway, but the, but the shows have been, you know, with the, with the maiden thing, we were, it was at a bigger, it was a maiden was a headliner. So 20,000 people outdoor venue we were in the pavilion so but this horrible storm kicked up and so it didn't start for like an hour and a half later and we were allowed to stay under the pavilion but everyone else had to go back to their cars because they were getting wet and there was lightning and all that stuff anyway so he came on late but he still played a full set and he um he and you know he does this song called um frankenstein or meet my frankenstein or something where he feed my frankenstein uh, right yeah and this 15 foot tall, it's kind of like Eddie for Iron Maiden. He comes out on stage. Well, this big Frankenstein comes out walking around, the, walking around the stage. He gets in an electric chair and he gets electrocuted. He gets his head chopped off in a guillotine. And, you know, I'm loving this stuff. My wife's like, what's going on here? I said, it's just, he's okay. Look, he's getting right back up. It's, it's no big deal. Uh, but she was offended by it. I'm like, no, this is just his show. It's part of the, it's part of the, the entertainment. And she's like, oh. I don't believe you could see. I'm like, it's listen to the music. That's the whole point of the, it's the music. And um, he always gets really good players. He can get the best musicians because of who he is kind of like Ozzy. Obviously Ozzy's probably uh-huh. bigger because of who he is, but, but you know, he's got this great guitarist named Nita Strauss, uh, who is just a beast on guitar. Uh, and I think she, I think she comes on whenever, I think she plays on most of his tours for sure. And probably some of the albums. Um, Anyway, but that's who I've been listening to lately. I mean, he's got a wide range of music. Sometimes it's metal. Sometimes it's hard rock. And there have been some times where some of the music is probably just straight rock. I mean, um, Welcome to My Nightmare is a really weird, strange song. And the video is even weirder. But it's a really cool I mean, you see these people just kind of dancing through the middle of the screen and uh, on the middle of the stage. And it's very odd, but it's also very cool because it's different. And, and um, so I, I just think one of the things I like about him is his music is pretty diverse. His style changes. It seems like with almost every album, even though it's in those like genres, rock or hard rock or metal or whatever. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, he's, he's who I've been spending some time with since the last one. I'm going to try to get into some newer stuff for the next time we meet, but I, I've just been sort of, Catching up, I think I always kind of run from behind. I think too often with the music I listen to. <laughs> but yeah, who are you listening to? Uh, so this ties in nicely with what we've been talking about. But um, I've been listening to a band called Dark Sarah, <coughs> and uh, I really like them. So they are a Finnish band, 
Uh, and the the person kind of behind the the band main songwriter and and singer, uh, she was the singer for the band Amberian Dawn from the start of when that band came out, or at least when they were known as Amberian Dawn, up until uh, sometime in the in the early tens, I think. Um, is when she left and kind of started doing her own thing with Dark Sarah. And Dark Sarah is, it's not just a concept album. It's like a concept band. Like every album is telling this story. Uh, It's all one story. There are four albums so so far from this band and they are still telling the same story. Dark Sarah, S-A-R-A? Yeah, S-A-R-A-H. And... So you like you listen to the first one and you're like, oh, okay, I see there's a there's a story here. And then listen to the second one, and the story is continuing. And then they they add some new characters. And then you listen to the third one, they've added more characters, and that one even ends on a cliffhanger. <laughs> and I got into them. I got into them when that album was out. So I was listening to Dark Sarah with the third album. And then I listened to the end of it. I'm like, wow, that you can't end like that. That's a cliffhanger. And then of course they put another <laughs> album, same story. So they're Are still they telling with the story. Genre? Oh yeah, they're metal. Um, they're like a symphonic metal band. Uh, it's like really, um, I don't know what to say, what to call it. It it plays like you're watching. It plays like you're listening to a musical or a film or something. So I guess it's kind of cinematic. Uh, I wouldn't say operatic because it's like she's a soprano, and so it has some of those elements to it. But it's not opera. It's definitely metal. Um, but it's it it very much is like you're listening to a, a musical playing out in terms of the way the story goes. Like the singers are the characters. So there aren't like voiceovers going on in the background. They have the actual singers playing the characters. And so when you hear like this one guy come on doing vocals, you're like, Oh, that's dragon uh, is a, is a character in the story. And dragon he's, like a, he's, an animal <laughs> dragon or yeah, a guy he, he's dragon. like the dragon. Yeah. Um, and he, he used to have wings and it's a whole thing, um, with the story. But like, when you hear this dude singing, you're like, Oh, that's dragon. Like I know when he is singing, he is telling his part of the story. So it's really cool in the way that does that. And it's really, um, it's, it's got this, you know, that, that symphonic metal style, that, that feel that, that comes out of that region with a lot of those bands, especially a lot of the female fronted metal bands, um, but it's it's really immersive and really dynamic and really dramatic. Like it's very, very, very dramatic. So I can mm. see some people might some people who aren't into that might not might not like it, but I'm very much all about the dramatic stuff. And the music for this band is really dramatic. And when it gets heavy, it's heavy. And you know, when it gets emotional, it's emotional, that sort of thing. What's so, the first uh, album? I've been a huge fan. Uh the the first album is called Behind the Black Veil. And uh, and then they have the puzzle, the golden moth, and the new one is Grim, uh, which is a very good, very good album. I I really enjoy uh, the new one quite a bit. My favorite probably is the golden moth. Um, it's the most narrative of of probably all of them, except maybe the first one. But uh, but it is really good. It has a lot of great tunes on it. And uh, Grim is a little bit more like the songs stand on their own a little better, probably. Uh, but anyway, they're they're great if people are looking for something that's maybe a little bit more obscure, but that it has a lot of drama and will bring them along on this, on this cool fantasy story. 
I, I highly recommend Dark Sarah. They are certainly worth a listen. And if you want to awesome. just like, if, if you want to just like hear a song to see if this is a band for you, um, I would recommend uh, Trespasser and The Chosen One. Uh, those two songs. And like, if you listen to The Chosen One, you'll be able to tell if Dark Sarah is the kind of band that you be that you would get into. Um, okay. Cause it kind of shows a lot of different textures from them. But, uh, but that's, that's, that's what I've been listening to lately. Cool. Um, all right, everybody. Well, thank you for joining us as we kind of take this, this look at metal lyrics and lyrical themes. Um, we will be back to chat with you soon about something else metal related uh, at the metal university. Take care, everybody. Thanks guys. Take care. <laughs>